Hello, thanks for tuning in. You are listening to Crash, Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, the UK podcast for the culture geek, technology nerd and creative wizard. This is episode 386, recorded on Tuesday, the 8th of June, 2021. Sorry, I almost lost it for a moment. The time at the beginning of the show is 23.20.05. This is my second attempt to record this show. I went through the whole thing yesterday, so as promised, it was back on schedule, and I tried to record it. And now I'm doing it again, because yesterday I used my normal mic, mic 1, the Behringer XM8500 mic plugged into my Sony PCM-M10 recorder so that I could get more field recording experience in preparation for the roadshow. I did that by sitting in the corner, it was comfortable, I held the mic in my hand, that got uncomfortable pretty soon, but it was a very different setup. The only problem was, when I listened to the audio that I taped this morning, it was bad. It was really bad. The gain was set to 8 last night to accommodate the dynamic mic, meaning the noise floor was dreadful for such a low noise recorder. The sound quality was even worse than recording directly into a phone, which is what I did nine years ago in my first episode. Of course, I only knew that after importing into Audacity. I was monitoring what I was doing at the time, and it did sound good when I did the test playback. The headphone amplification system in the Sony is awful while the mic preamps are really good, so it doesn't really give you a good representation of what you've just recorded. Maybe I should try turning the gain down and moving closer to the mic. Perhaps I'll try that. But this is hardly the time for experimentation. I've got a podcast to do. If you're listening to this thinking, hey man, that Sony recorder he's got is good, you're right, it is a good recorder with its built-in mics or externally powered condensers, but I've found it sounds awful with the game cranked and my dynamic mic. The second taping, this one, is proof that even after nine years I can still badly mess things up. To not mess things up tonight, I'm recording a low-volume safety track with a second mic, a mic that I never use, a shotgun mic, so even if there is some kind of major cock-up, at least I'll have a chance of recovering that audio. I won't explain how I'm doing that. It's not that complicated, but it's beyond the bounds of this podcast. And we're four minutes in, and we've got other things to talk about in the pre-show, and then we've got the exciting show itself. Next, further to a fellow podcaster recently saying that no communication from your listeners could mean they don't think your opinion worthy of a response. Perhaps because, in the case of me, this is a one-man show, and there aren't many of those that are successful, which is a bit of a sting. I decided to mention something that I feel we've covered before regarding my choice of running a solo podcast. Throw your mind back to Star Wars A Han Solo story and that scene when Han is 
rather desperate to be recruited by the Empire, and he speaks to an Imperial recruiting officer, and the officer asks him, Who are your people? Han, poor old Han, replies, I don't have people, I'm alone. The Imperial recruiter writes on his recruitment form, Han Solo, thereby giving him his famous surname. That's either a fancy way of saying that you have no friends, or, if you are Han Solo, something to say that's quite cool and will make the hearts of women melt when they hear it. I know which I prefer. And now for something completely bizarre. To you, anyway, not to me, because now I'm repeating this stuff. I'm not repeating the bit about repeating the stuff, but never mind. The topic of stage magic, you weren't expecting that, came up when I was recently talking to my mum, and she repeated a story I keep meaning to relate to others, like you, the listener, and that story is that a distant great-uncle was a stage magician, and apparently quite a well-known one. Well, you know, this is back in Mauritius in the 50s. Even now, small populations stuck out in the middle of nowhere. There probably aren't that many stage magicians. I've heard this story a few times, but somehow, magically, it keeps slipping my mind, or maybe that's age. What's more incredible than simply him being a stage magician is that he was involved in a magical feud. Yes, he was in a feud with another, according to my mum, jealous stage magician, who sabotaged my uncle's sawing a person in half trick, leading to a police investigation after a performance went horribly wrong. Mum tends to embellish that last bit with blood and screaming and panicking running crowds. I know what you're thinking, Shaggy Dog story. Or even if something like this or similar to this even happened in vaguely the way it's been described, perhaps the alternative explanation is that it was all a publicity stunt set up by a couple of dodgy performers. I, and probably everyone in the entire world by this point, knows that the cutting a woman in half trick is possibly the simplest trick ever devised, And once you know how it's done, you'll be kicking yourself. But that's also the case with many tricks, like Chris Angel's leaning trick, the mention of which is what got us talking about magic in the first place. If that trick, the cutting a person in half trick, is so simple, how could it possibly go wrong? Your guess is as good as mine. I think that the son of my uncle may still be alive. My mum thinks so. But I'm not about to fly to Mauritius to investigate this very fascinating story. Unless, BBC, are you listening? You pay B-listers to do far less interesting things than that. What do you think? At the very least, this has given you a chance to hear another astonishing piece of my weird family history. Let's do the show. I found out recently, or perhaps re-found out, who knows at this stage, that the comic character, the Daywalker Blade, is British. And when I heard this recently, I said to myself, no way! Amazing! 
I used to own an early comic with a Blade story. Perhaps the Tomb of Dracula. Did he ever have his own comics? I don't think the one I had was solely about Blade, the character. I think it was within another comic. That was in the 70s, when we didn't know they would be valuable later, if they are indeed valuable. Are they valuable? Did I miss out? Let me know. In the film, though, Wesley Snipes is brilliant as Blade. In the first film, that's my favourite Blade film. So please don't use that Britishness as an excuse to reboot. Though I would have thought a young Idris Elba would have been good in this. Oh, maybe uh, Daniel Boyega? But he's in everything. Maybe someone else. But what am I doing? No, no reboots. Let's talk about some films. Vivarium. I heard about this film on another podcast I listened to. It was mentioned in passing. I think I remember seeing the trailer a few years ago, but then my watch list is so long. Who really has the time to watch everything? Even if this is a geek podcast, so I'm only reconcentrating mainly on sci-fi fantasy and horror, it's still a lot of stuff to cover. And I do talk about other stuff too. There's never any time. Anyway, Vivarium, in which a young couple of strapped-for-cash house hunters visit a bargain house on a new-build estate at the invitation of a very persuasive and weird estate agent. During the visit to this dream house, they are abandoned in the maze-like structure of the estate, which is one of those (laughs) nightmare-type scenarios you can imagine would work well in a horror movie. Eventually, they realise they can't escape, but are given a task by a mysterious force in return for their release. Vivarium is, to me, a contemporary and possibly unconscious spin on Golden Age sci-fi horror. It's something you would read as a short story, maybe, in a 1940s anthology or magazine. I'm saying this because, from the interviews I've read, I don't think that the filmmakers would understand the references. It's not that I'm being condescending. I just don't think that they're old enough. Though I could be wrong, and besides, I'm not old enough either. But I do have a taste for that era, so it is something that I would seek out myself. And because I have read quite a lot of that stuff, this is what Vivarium reminded me of. The spin here, yeah, spoiler warning. Well, not really, because the whole film is spoiled not once, but twice, and very, very early on, so I'm not really messing things up for you here. It's an alien invasion, but not in a way you would expect. Vivarium from 2019 stars Imogen Poots and Jesse Eisenberg, and a Fabulously unnerving estate agent played by the excellent Jonathan Aris. Next, the gangster, the cop, the devil. This is one of those morally questionable movies. 
It is a 2019 action film about a policeman and a gangster who team up in order to catch a serial killer. The reason that happens is that the mobster accidentally bumps into the serial killer on a dark and stormy night. No, that's not my purple prose. It actually sort of happens. And he is almost filleted. It eventually morphs into a really nasty revenge film, as you really don't want to upset the intimidating mobster played by the only slightly less intimidating in real life, Ma Dong Siok, also known by his stage name as Don Lee. Ma Dong Siok's character is also extremely charismatic and incredibly well-dressed throughout this film. You may recognise him from that guy, the cool guy, in the film Train to Busan in 2016. That breakout zombie movie from Korea. Since you've previously had a little anecdote about the rich variety within our family, I have a cousin who actually looks a bit like Ma Dong Siok and even dresses a bit like him. That's beside the point. I don't think he's even listening. If you're listening, man, you do look like him. If you can stomach the vigilantes are okay message of the film, why are there just so many of those? You will enjoy this crazy, violent, manga-esque ride through the underworld of South Korea. And that's the gangster, the cop, the devil. Next, let's move on to another non-English language film, and that is Riders of Justice. I heard about this in yet another podcast. I should start naming these podcasts. I heard about Vivarium in Stuff They Don't Want You To Know, and I heard about Riders of Justice in the film cast. Riders of Justice is a Danish revenge flick about revenge gone badly wrong. And it's a nice follow-up to The Gangster, The Cop, The Devil. In Riders of Justice, an odd bunch of science geeks and a hard man, played by Mads Mikkelsen, an ex-soldier, seek revenge for the supposed bombing of a train by a violent gang. Supposed. Revenge is so difficult to take back when you cock it up. And man, there's a lot of cocking up in this movie. The film is also about the stupidity of the male ego and machismo. Mads Mikkelsen's character is an alpha male, a soldier, a leader, a hard man, but a musclehead as well. You can be tough without being dense. The nerds are just as bad, whereas they don't have slabs of muscles on their bodies, they have their superior brain power and they aren't afraid of flexing it. But as you can be clever and intelligent, these guys are just clever with zero common sense. And that's made abundantly clear at the beginning of this movie because it's also about the topical subject of the idiocy of poorly thought out algorithms. 
Riders of Justice is very violent, it's very funny, in a way I found strangely compelling and unique one supposes to the Danish sense of humour. Let's move on to The Courier, a spy film starring Benedict Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch is a businessman recruited by MI6 to spy for his country when he makes contact with a potential Russian double agent in order to prevent a nuclear escalation with the Soviet Union over their use of Cuba as a missile base. Yes, this is all set in the 60s during the Cuban Missile Crisis. A very different take on the crisis than was done with the X-Men film. Do you remember that? Oh, was that Wolverine? No, I don't know. I'm straying. Sorry, back to the courier. 13 minutes into the courier, I thought the main character, the businessman, a chap called Greville, was a bit of a gullible chump. Also, if you're going to do something risky for your country, for the world, all well and good, but why not also do it for a big pile of cash? Of course, maybe he was too shy to ask, who knows, but later on in the movie, this is actually offered, though it's not clear from the film whether in real life he did or did not get paid handsomely for the terrible risks he took. I hope he did. I learned a couple of things from the movie. Those were that either Greville was naive, the CIA was incompetent, MI6 was leaky, and the Soviets were paranoid, or that Greville was brave, the CIA daring, MI6 sensible, and the Soviets cautious. Choose your own adventure, but I know that it's probably a combination of both. I think Gravel was both naive and brave. I think the CIA were overconfident and incompetent. I think MI6 was definitely leaky in the 60s. Altogether, I'm sure that the real story was much more nuanced than that. But I do feel sorry for Mr. Gravel M. Wynne and his contact, Colonel Vladimirovich, Penkovsky. Whereas things generally worked out for Win in the end, they did not for the Colonel. I did a bit of googling afterwards to see what the real story was, which is what I usually do in the case of films where it says, based on a true story. As for the film, the grimy and dark palette filled me with a nostalgia for the 1960s Cold War thriller, which is a genre that I really enjoy, and not just the films, but also some of the books. I'm a Le Carre fan, if you've listened to this podcast before, and a Len Dighton fan as well. The Courier was nicely done, Merab Ninids was convincing as a GRU colonel, and Cumberbatch was good, but I thought he went a bit overboard with the method acting in his portrayal of Wynne. His weight throughout the film wildly fluctuates from a bit overweight to ridiculously dangerously thin. Was it really necessary 
that he lose so much weight for the role. Why is everyone trying to copy Robert De Niro? Look, it's called acting. You don't have to lose all that weight. That was The Courier. Moving on to Birds of Prey, brackets, and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn, close brackets. Another attempt by Warner Brothers to make a decent DC film. It is filled with endless voiceover and, I thought, mostly useless exposition and a non-stop pop soundtrack. In other words, it was another Warner Brothers DC joint. What is wrong with Warner Brothers? What is wrong with them? In the film, the Joker's main squeeze or stalker, depending on how you look at it, Dr. Harleen Francis Quinzel, PhD, relates her life post being dumped by Mr. J. And while Harley does strike out on her own as a character in her own right, after being corrupted by life with a Joker, as she tries to extricate herself from a bounty now that she is no longer under his protection. She, however, does not return to her own life as a respected psychiatrist, but continues as a career maniac. Which, I suppose, is more fun. There's a whole thing about retrieving this stolen diamond. There's lots of Gotham characters like Black Mask, Black Canary, Huntress, Victor Zaz, Rene Montoya. They all make an appearance, but I felt that it was directionless. In any case, this wasn't a movie I was looking forward to, as I don't like characters like Harley Quinn or Deadpool. A wooga, a wooga, tangent alert. Yes, Deadpool's Marvel, but I couldn't help getting the boot in. That's another one of these characters. These are characters that some nerds love for their supposed status as feminist and LBGTQ icons, respectively. Quinn's movie roller derby antics are a lazy, cliched, on-the-nose, vague nod in the direction of girl power, and Deadpool has always half-assed his LGBTQ-ness on the screen, though I do not feel entirely qualified to speak on behalf of these communities, I don't think there's anything laudable about characters like Quinn or Deadpool, a serial killing robber and an amoral mercenary. Those huge asides aside, Margot Robbie is undeniably charismatic and funny and endearing and terrifying as the super villainous slash sometimes anti-hero ally of the Birds of Prey team of superheroines. That's more down to her as a likeable actress. The movie, however, is too long, too boring, which really is an amazing feat to achieve with all that action. It's also too wordy. The stars, like Ewan McGregor and others, are wasted. But it is colourful. It is ridiculous. It is occasionally funny and at the same time doesn't sway in showing Gotham's villains and Quinn's monstrous sides. Daddy's little monster is a monster. I was going to end it 
on that poetic bit of purple prose, but I just wanted to say something that I've thought about since. What the character of Harley Quinn really needs is a film like Joker, that equivalent for her character. I think that could work. Just take a completely different spin on the whole narrative arc of her character. I'm looking at the clock, we're 35 minutes in, so perhaps I should leave this behind. And that was my review of Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. Finally, in the culture section, I just had an addendum to my review of Cruella in pod 385. Cruella also received the seal of approval from my mother, which I think I did mention I also wanted to give a big shout-out, or woof-woof, to Wink the Talented Rat Dog. (laughs) Yeah, there's this dog, a pet of the Baden brothers, who at one stage of the film is disguised as a giant rat. (laughs) I read some trivia about the dog from the Disney fandom wiki, and Wink, a male chihuahua, was played by Bluebell, a female chihuahua. Although dogs that small generally look fairly similar. I also heard that Bluebell was a stray, but since the movie has found a home. Ah, I'm not saying that cynically. I really like that story. Let's move on to technology and Amazon. I have heard people say that because Amazon have bought MGM and all those properties, does that include Bond or not? Doesn't matter. People fear that companies like Amazon or Google or Microsoft or Facebook or Twitter will eventually rule all aspects of our lives with their iron corporate fist. I used to be worried about that sort of thing, but I've had to think about this, and I'm not so sure that they would. The reason I don't think they will end up being our overlords is that it's too easy to not make money when you take on the big stuff like infrastructure, health, transport, things that governments have to deal with. If you have a fear of big tech taking over Transport for London, Transport for London wishes the things the giant money suck. Wait a minute, is that how TFL works? Just write in if I've got that completely wrong. The only company genuinely stupid enough to try similar projects would be Tesla, and then only until Elon realised he had bitten off more than he could chew. Anyone remember Hyperloop? Yeah, what happened to that? Next bit of tech. Twitter Blue. Twitter Blue is Twitter's new paid subscription service that gives users extra functionality like bookmark folders to organise saved content, a nicely formatted reader mode, and trivial crap like that. All for the low, low price of about £2 per month. I recently held a Twitter poll, and here are the results. The results were 100% in favour of Twitter Blue, I should tell you, however, that my sample rate was one. Yes, only one 
listener took part in that poll and they were in favour of it. So, of course, 100%, but that's a statistical anomaly. I, unfortunately, was not allowed to vote in my own poll. If I had been, I would have said no, and then it would be a 50-50 score. Still, thank you, that one person, hopefully a listener, who did participate. Twitter Blue is a waste of money, man. It's a waste of money, and I advise people not to subscribe. Buy delicious sherbet lemons instead. Did you hear a click just now? Okay. We are moving on into the after show section, and that click is relevant because my next topic in the after show section is arthritis. Welcome to another edition of Old Man Complaints. Everything is hurting a bit more over the last two years. Hands, feet, hips, knees, spine, neck, shoulders. The bloody works. It's all catching up with me. Some of the pops and squeaks as I move are even loud enough to be recorded and end up in the podcast. I'm telling you, that bloke Arthur-itis, he's a right bastard. Next, I clonked myself on the head recently. Yes, I bonked my bonts. I was assembling a bed when the head end of the steel bedstead toppled a metre and the big brass ball finial hit me on the head. It hurt like hell for a moment and also scared the crap out of me. But other than a tender skull, no concussion followed. I think. I... Did try to ring the non-urgent NHS number 111, but couldn't get through. What a surprise. And was directed instead to the NHS website, which I did browse. And it was completely useless. It told me to take a paracetamol, which is its advice for almost everything nowadays. I was also a little worried about the possibility of a detached retina. I have had a fair number of whacks to the head over the years out of clumsiness and also out of martial arts. So when I recently went to the opticians, I did ask them and was predictably told to see a doctor. Fat chance of that. Finally, let's move on from my aches and pains to something a bit different. Or something a bit similar. Maybe this is to do with age. That's why it's happened. I am saying my name wrong. I hate hearing my surname anglicised or Frenchified, but I'll accept phonetic pronunciation because it shows that at least people are willing to make an effort. According to Mum, the proper way to say my name, spelt M-A-T-H-U-R, is Matur. That's as in the city of Mathura in India, with a rolled R at the end. There's also another way to pronounce it that's used by another Indian family who share the name, but to whom we are not at all related. But that's a tangent too far, so let's stick to the subject at hand. Interestingly, until I too started saying my name phonetically, Matur, was the way I said it. You can actually hear me saying it that way in the very first episode of this podcast back in 2012. What the hell happened? I think 
I, over the years, bullied myself into incompetency by reading the description I wrote in my about page on how I mock those who get my name wrong. I read that bit about mocking those people so often that I scared myself into pronouncing it phonetically. (laughs) I forgot that Martha, while not a grievous insult, is the incorrect pronunciation, but I'll accept it. Hoist with his own petard is the phrase that comes to mind, and which literally means blowing oneself up with one's own grenade. Don't do that. This show is made by me, Roy Martha. <laughs> I did it again. <laughs> I did it again. Roy Matur, a writer. Matur <laughs> is spelled M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at roymatur.com. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen Recommend it to a friend or mortal enemy, or click on the contact or support link on the website. You were listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show Crash, the UK podcast for the culture geek, technology nerd and creative wizard. This was episode 386, recorded on Tuesday the 8th of June 2021, but ending on Wednesday the 9th of June 2021 at 000757. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye!